Welcome everyone. My name is Simon Winchcombe and I worship at Stack. Today a second sermon in a series on the majesty of God. And so before we start, let's pray. Lord, help us to expand our minds to behold your greatness and your glory. Take my words and shape them by your spirit, that they may be of you and from you, for your glory. Amen. Now, in preparing for this talk today, yesterday, a member of our church put out to a lot of people a song by Aldgate called Hold On. And there are two verses there that I think really speak into this passage and will speak into our lives. When the year has been unkind and the hearts of the people are broken, when the winter is long and wild and life like the earth is frozen, in the darkest night there's a light that shines, there's a hope that's burning in the shadows, like a seam of gold in a shattered world, there is one who holds it all together. Amen. We are living in very challenging times. It is tough. So I think this passage today can really speak to us. Because the people suffering 2,800 years ago, what they were going through, in a sense, we can get a glimpse of that and relate it to our lives and what we're doing now. In order to do that, what I want to do is I want to go through the history. I want us to look and understand Isaiah and why he wrote what he wrote. To do that, we need to understand the context. So we need to go back to the death of Solomon in 930 BC. Five years later, the Egyptians sack Jerusalem. About 70 years later, the Philistines come and sack Jerusalem. And then 20 years after that, the king of Judah decides to give all the treasury and all the goods of the temple to the ruler of Damascus in order to try and appease him. Yet still, all the princes are killed. And then just a few years later, the king of Israel sacks the temple. And then we get to about 786 BC and the reign of Uzziah. And that was a moment of calm. That was a moment of rest. For 40 years, there was peace in the land, partly because in the south, Egypt was waning in its power. And in the northeast, the Assyrian Empire was busy trying to deal with the northern territories and also conquering Babylon. The only influence that the Assyrians had was to go and control Damascus, which had been for a long time attacking Judah and its sister nation, Israel. And this tiny little drop of water in the bucket of all the empires was pivotal because it, it bridged between Africa and the Near and Far East. So it was a real trading point. You know, people wouldn't go through the desert, they would go through the, the fertile lands of the Jordan River. So it really was a very prosperous place. And in that moment of peace, it could prosper. And it increased its military base. And it took back a lot of the lands of that golden age of King Solomon. So the people 
could relax. And I wonder if we kind of felt that after the other lockdown, whether we thought, phew, we've done the hard thing, now we're okay. But actually there was more to come. Uzziah was a good guy. And often if you read in Kings, you often get, you know, this king came in and was detestable in the eyes of the Lord and did detestable things, etc. But Uzziah was a goodie. And for most of his reign, the land was doing well, except for the last five years when in the northeast, uh, in the Syrian empire that had suffered through issues with succession, there came Tilgath-Pilzar III. And he was an incredible ruler and he united that country. He subdued the territories of the north. He captured, recaptured Babylon and then he faced west. He he went to Ashad in Syria, laid siege for two years at that city and then took it and then moved to Damascus and he was heading towards Judah. And the people in Judah were nervous and panicky. What was going to happen? Was there going to be another wave, another issue, another hard time ahead? And not only that, the people in Judah were fractured. They had a, a, a religious ceremony, but it was paper thin. It, didn't, it couldn't hide the rot underneath because wealth wasn't shared equally. There was an economical elite that had a lot of the power, a lot of the money, and the vast majority of people lived in poverty the last few years. And so there was fractions there. In the year of the death of Uzziah, in the temple in Jerusalem, God spoke to a young man and gave him a vision. That man was Isaiah. And Isaiah's vision was that he would see God high and lifted up. And his glory was above all the earth. You see, this tiny little drop of water in the ocean of all the empires. This tiny little land claimed to have the true God. Claimed to have the true God. What happened was, when Uzziah died, then we had two, two kings that followed. The second of which was Ahaz. And he, he was a baddie. He was a baddie. He, he brought back in all the, the idol worships, etc., and he also, he, he had a treaty with the Pilsar III because the northern Israel and, and Damascus were trying to unite against the Assyrians. They asked Judah, would you come with us? And, and Judah said no. They were nervous about it. So they, they actually brought in Tilgath and they gave tithings to him and, and stuff to have. And that, that meant that their economy went down massively. So, and also, not only that, the religion changed and they, they, they worshipped more idols and then you had the reign of Hezekiah and he was a goodie he, he was really good and all the way through this time there's Isaiah and he's a, a, a voice often he's an awkward voice for the kings that weren't following what God wanted but for Hezekiah they, they were together on this and there's that moment isn't there when Zenitreb who's now the new ruler in Assyria, sends his troops to the the, the walls of Jerusalem. And the people are struggling in Jerusalem. They're fearful. But Hezekiah, under the guidance of Isaiah, says, don't say anything, don't reply to those warriors. And And the warriors came along and said, listen, 
we are from the king of all. He is the king who has mer- he can give mercy. He can do this. Don't listen to Hezekiah. We'll give you a thousand chariots. We'll do this. You can eat the fruit of your own vine, etc. But Hezekiah stayed true to what Isaiah had said. And there's that second huge miracle that he had. The first being where the sun went back three hours. But in this one, the angel of the Lord swept through the army. And it was 185,000 soldiers that were killed. And you'd think, wouldn't you, that the people would say, hey, this is our true God, all-powerful. Yet no. On the death of Hezekiah, we then had his son, Menahash. And what you have to understand, Isaiah wrote the book over many, many years. And the first 39 chapters he wrote up until this point, up until about 700 BC, just after that, actually. But in the last five years of Isaiah's life, he writes the next 27 chapters. And they are split into three parts, each nine chapters long. The first is about comfort. The second is about the saviour. And the third is about future glory. We have to understand, in these last five years, Isaiah is old. He's also almost a captive and he's persecuted. And it's been told that actually he was martyred. He was executed by being sawn in two. The king of Judah really went into the depths of depravity. He, he even sacrificed his own son. And, and so these are really hard times for the people. And Isaiah, being a prophet, knew what the future lay ahead as well. He knew that the people would eventually be held captive in Babylon and taken there. And so he wanted to give them some hope. He wanted to to give something for them so that they would remember who God is. They would remember their identity and who they really were. And that's important even for us today, isn't it? We need to know what is our identity. In, in this time when so many things are not normal and we have a new normal, we could have a tendency to lose self and lose the idea of who am I? Am I, am I important or not? Am I significant? Do I make a difference? Isaiah wanted to have them have a sense of proportion, a perspective of who they were. And so he says, if, if you look in at chapter, uh, verse 15, it says, Surely the nations are like a drop of water in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. Where I, Judea felt it was tiny, God is saying the nations around you, all those powerful things, they are tiny. They are like a drop. They are like a drop. And he challenges them. He says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, verse 12, or the breadth of, the, of his hand marked off the heavens. He wanted them to show, he wanted the people to understand, as I wanted people to understand that God was this powerful, almighty, majestic ruler. But not only that, in verse 11 it says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. He is a God who cares, who loves. Kath gave that passage with the, 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 the sheep with a broken leg. And I don't know, I, I think this is true, and someone will correct me, no doubt. But in those days, in the, in the parable where Jesus says the person went off and left the 99 to find the one, he would go all over the mountains and, 
And he would search for it. And when he found this sheep, what they would do was they'd break a leg and then carry it over so that the sheep wouldn't jigger around and move around. And then when, when he got back, he would splinter it and then it would be okay afterwards. But I thought that was a beautiful thing. What Kath said was, the, and it reminded me of that, that, that God searches us and sometimes we get broken. Sometimes we are broken because of all that's happened. But God tends for us and carries them close to our, his heart. And we need to know that. We need to understand that. We need to know our identity. You see, divine power works when we understand divine love in us. When we understand his promises. Isaiah wanted the people to know about who God was. So that in their times of captivity, their eyes would look up and they would see the starry hosts. And they would recall to mind the words that Isaiah gave them that they would look around and see God in their creation and they would be lifted up because you might feel at this time downhearted. You might feel that all is lost. You might feel like you want to give up hope. Isaiah wanted to give them something to give them hope. And I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story about a guy called Dmitri. He was a factory worker in Russia. And uh, in about 19... So I want to say 1960, uh, he decides that he's going to set up a, a house church. He, he wants to teach his two children about his faith. And eventually his house church grew to 150. And the KGB came in and arrested him. And they took him a thousand miles away. And they put him in a prison with 1,500 convicts. The only thing he needed to do was to deny his faith. And if he did that, he would be released. He was there for 17 years. And every day he would wake up, he would turn to the east and look at the rising sun, and he would sing, my God is my strength. And as he sang that song every morning, the people would jeer, they would bang against the bars, they would throw stuff at him, etc., and they would laugh and mock him. And the prison guards would come and beat him up and, and try to get him to recount his faith. But every morning, he would stand and he would look to the east and see the rising sun. And he would praise God. Because he knew who his identity was. And that's really important. And then there came a time when he was convinced, the guards had convinced him that his wife had been killed and his two sons were going to be taken into care. And that if he wanted to go and see his sons, he would have to deny his faith and put it in writing. And he decided that that next morning, that's what he's going to do. He felt broken. He felt that everything had gone and lost. And at that night, as he prayed, his family, a thousand miles away, were also convicted by the Spirit to pray. And Dimitri says this, he says that as he was praying, his ears were opened and he could hear his family praying. His wife was not dead. She was alive. So that morning when they came, he said, no, I'm not going to deny my faith. Now, they were so frustrated with this character that they decided that they were going to go and execute him. And so as they, they took him out of the cell um, and they were, about to, they were going to take him along. All the prisoners who had mocked and jeered and thrown stuff and been cruel to him, they all stood 
and they sung, my God is my strength. It's like, wow. Was this guy insignificant? Was he a small drop? Did his life matter as he was 17 years in prison? 1,500 prisoners and one believer. But he stayed true to what he believed. And the guards holding him were so scared of what's happening. They turned and asked him, they said, who are you? And he turned and he said to them, I am a son of the living God. And his name is Jesus Christ. Soon they released him. And a few years later, his son became chaplain of that prison. He was not insignificant. You are not insignificant. What we have to understand is divine power helped Dimitri because he was assured of divine love. He was certain of his identity and his trust in the majestic, mighty, powerful God. It says in verse 26, and it's a verse that Kath has, has said a number of times because it meant something to her and it means something to us. It says, lift your eyes. When you're feeling downcast, lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. It says in Acts 2.24, it says this, But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Referring to Jesus, if you look in Isaiah 40 earlier on, it talks about a voice crying in the desert, John the Baptist. If you look at that second phase of Isaiah's book, written in those five years of persecution, it talks about the Savior, it talks about Jesus. The power of God put into a baby, a son of God, a son of man. And the power of death could not hold him. He died because of our wrongdoing, but he has risen because the power of death could not hold him. That is our identity. We are not insignificant. We need to have a, a correct sense of proportion, a right perspective. This isn't what God has called us. This isn't the shortness. We need to have a, a long view on all of this and realize what God is doing for us. Because it says in Romans 9, verse 37, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus who raised Lazarus from the death, but before he wept his friend. Christ Jesus, who stood on the boats whilst all around us, all the things were happening and all, all the turmoil and, and the fear was happening, he stood on that boat and he calmed the waters. Jesus will do that for us. We need to trust in him. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Amen. Let's pray. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things that I can. 
and wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as a pathway to peace, taking as he did this sinful world, as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make things right if I surrender to his will. Grant me, therefore, the peace that I may give it to others. And where there's despair, let me bring hope. All for your glory. Amen.